0: All right, so we are in Genesis 35 today, so go ahead and open up your Bibles to Genesis 35. For those of you who know me, you obviously know that my favorite historical character is Abraham Lincoln, of course, because he had a beard. Do you know how he got a beard? Tell, Tell us how he got a beard, Maureen. That's right. A little girl said, you'd be more manly and I would vote for you if you had a beard, more respectable. Praise the Lord. (laughs) Praise the Most High, i tell you what. (laughs) So Abraham Lincoln was great in just about every way. I love him. And so today's sermon is called, Abraham Lincoln Says, Get Back to Bethel. You'll understand why later. (laughs) So let's go ahead and pray as we dive into... This study. Jesus, we thank you that we can approach your, your word that is so holy, it's so perfect. Everything else in this world is flawed by sin, but your word, God, is perfect in every way. Lord, no flaw can be found in what you desire to tell us and how you desire to communicate it. Lord, it's perfect. And Lord, even if we don't understand it, the fault is not with your word, it's with us. So Jesus, we ask very simply that you would open our hearts to understand what your word says. You would open uh, the deep recesses of of our soul to receive the grace that is poured into our hearts by your Holy Spirit as we study your word. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so I'm going to start by giving you guys a quote from Abraham Lincoln. This is my favorite quote from Abraham Lincoln, all right? And this was... uh, a lot of times, there there was a quote floating around on Facebook this week that was his Thanksgiving Day quote, right? Because it was Thanksgiving. So how many of you saw that? All right, a couple. Of, well, he had several of these national days of Thanksgiving and national days of this and that and the other. Well, he did one, one time, that was called the National Day of Fasting, Humiliation, and Prayer. And I thought that, he did, imagine If we had a country like that now, no, we do not live in the same country that Abraham Lincoln was president of. We don't. This is a completely secularized, that could not even happen in our world today, our country today. But listen to what Abraham Lincoln said. Oh, I wish I lived back in these days. Listen to what Abraham Lincoln said. We have been the recipients of the choicest bounties of heaven. We have been preserved the many years in peace and prosperity. We have grown in numbers, wealth, and power as no nation has ever grown, but we have forgotten God. We have forgotten the gracious hand which preserved us in peace and multiplied and enriched and strengthened us, and we have vainly imagined In in the deceitfulness of our hearts, that all these blessings were produced by some superior wisdom or virtue of our own. Intoxicated with unbroken success, we have become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace." too proud to pray to God that made us. That's his statement about what the world was like, his country was like at that time. What would he say about our world? Oh my goodness, right? But this is what he says we should do then. So he says we've become too self-sufficient to feel the necessity of redeeming and preserving grace. So redeeming grace is that that justification starting out with God, where you get saved, you get forgiven of all your sins, how you, you, when you first come to the Lord, and then this preserving grace, this grace that works in your life on a daily-to-day basis to make you more Christ-like, make you more godly. He mentions them both here. He says, pride is what keeps us from that. So what he says, he says, it behooves us. Behooves, very fancy word. Don't even know what it means, but sounds like it's important. It behooves us than to humble ourselves before the offended power and to confess our national sins and to pray for clemency and forgiveness. Wow. Abraham Lincoln, he knew how to be right with God. And he oh, that's all he cared about. As leading our nation, he said the most important thing for us is to be right with God. So let's go back to where we were humble and we depended on God for everything. That was his message to the United States of America back then when they were in the middle of a civil war. When there was, in his mind, everyone had gotten too prideful to remember grace. And that's what he says, get back to that place where you remember grace. It rhymes. I worked hard on that. Get back to the place where you remember grace. Hashtag that. All right. So we're now in Genesis chapter thirty-five, and we are gonna we're we're getting to this section where Jacob is is nearing the the end of his life. Well, not really. He's he's getting to the part of his life where he's starting to care more about God than about all the other stuff. He's starting to depend more on God, and we're gonna learn a really important lesson for our spiritual walk today, and that is to get back to Bethel. And that doesn't mean maybe anything to you right now, but it will by the end of today's sermon. Get back to Bethel, okay? That's what Jacob is at right now. Then God said to Jacob in verse one, arise, go up to Bethel and dwell there and make an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. The last chapter was this terrible story that we studied last week about Jacob's lack of parenting and his lack of godly leadership and how his daughter got raped and an entire, all of his sons murdered an entire city. It was horrible. This man that God has chosen to be his representative, the namesake of all his people for the next three millenniums, is Jacob, who God has renamed Israel. And he is not doing very well in all the areas of his his life. So you might ask, are you sure you got the right man for the job, God? Are you sure, Jacob? I mean, I don't want to question the most high, but really? This guy? I mean, we have seen Jacob fail again and again and again. And then I look at myself and I realize I have fallen backwards more times than I have progressed forwards, it feels like. I've sinned and sinned some more. At times I hear voices in my heart screaming, you're terrible, and then my own conscience agrees with them. Yeah, I am terrible. I have such sinful desires in my heart. And this happens to all of us. How can we get past this? From thinking I'm unworthy to be the man that God has chosen to lead my family, to serve at church, to be the wife that God's called me to be. I'm unworthy of this. That can be a real struggle. How can we get past this? By listening to what God says instead of what we hear the voices in our hearts say. You have that choice. The world and Satan and your own heart will point out your sin. But God, through the Holy Spirit, will point out Jesus and his victory over that sin. And you can always tell what the difference is. Either your sin is being exalted and magnified and and you're seeing how great your sin is, or you're seeing how great Jesus is to cover your sin, to wash away your sin, his works on the cross. And that's how we can have victory over this. When you sin, when you fail, confess it to to Jesus and remember what Jesus did on the cross to to pay for it. Yeah, I know that I shouldn't have done it. You're having this conversation. I know I shouldn't have done it. I know I was wrong. but I'm not going to let it keep me from coming to Jesus right now. That's what we so often let our flesh do, is we sin, we make a mistake, and then we decide to retreat into our hole and hang out there, wallowing in our self-pity. And instead of coming to the Lord and getting rid of that sin, we say, no, no, God must be mad at me right now. God is upset because I'm sure disappointed in myself. And those are lies. That's not the way the Lord works. He always accepts us when we come to confess our sins because we're demonstrating humility and faith. And he always accepts those. No, we need to choose to come to Jesus now in obedience. Now is a key word in the Bible. Come to him now. The Spirit says if you hear the voice of, of the Lord do it now come now to him while the day is today the book of Hebrews says come today while the spirit is speaking to you because you don't know what tomorrow will bring you can fade away the longer you put it off the less likely you are of actually coming back to the Lord so we see that Jacob has he's been struggling he's been failing but God isn't gonna just leave him there He's going to come and bring conviction into his heart. And not only that, he brings uh, direction to him. And he says, hey, you, go back to Bethel. Go to Bethel. I got a plan for you, but you need to do this. You need to go back to Bethel. Jesus has commanded me to come to him. Because he is the way, the truth, and the life. He's given you this command, go back to Bethel. But in your mind and in your heart and the way it works in 2015, it's go back to Jesus. Go back to him. That's how we're going to see this. When sin happens, don't let it keep you away from Jesus or in Jacob's case, away from Bethel. But we are free to run back to him. That's what it means when it talks about the freedom of the Lord. It is for freedom that Jesus had made you free, right? That freedom means you have the freedom to run back to him any time that you stray, you have the freedom to run back as a child runs. If my kid were to run up in here, right in the middle of all of you, I would put this on hold, our sermon, and I would say, what do you need, buddy? Go to your mom and she'll figure it out. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I would say, <laughs> we'll learn about that in the parenting conference. No. Uh, I, would, I would say, what do you need? And if he had something, my son had something, I would, I would take care of that need, right? I wouldn't reject him because he has a greater access to me than all of you do. He can come to me whenever he wants. That's his right as my son and my heir to my throne. Well, no. <laughs> no, it, but he does. He has this access, and that is what we get when we're adopted into God's family, and it's what he desires. What if my son is dying back there of some need, that I could seriously provide, but he's afraid to come to me because he's afraid of what you all will think. And, and he dies because he doesn't come to me. I would be so brokenhearted. Now think of God standing there with all the grace in the world, promised to give you anything you need for life and godliness, and you're afraid to come to him. He, it breaks his heart. He wants you to come to him Come back to him. Come to him because he is running after you. He's not just sitting there. He's actually coming after you. So the Lord comes to his man right now. Jacob has been messing around in the promised land. He's in the promised land, but he's messing around with his own business. He's been too busy to take care of his family. We saw some of the real bad things last week. Now the Lord comes to him. The Lord's pursuing him. And he's coming to Jacob to help him. He never leaves, no matter how bad it gets with Jacob. Jacob's family seriously messed up last week, right? I mean, we saw, they murdered an entire city. You don't get much worse than that. I mean, that's like Hitler level. And yet God doesn't leave them. God goes after his lost sheep. How many times has he come after you? How many times has he come after me? Countless. He keeps coming back. This is his character. He's building with this story of Jacob in the book of Genesis for for us here at White Flag Calvary. God is building a picture of his character that he's not going to let you go. He is not going to, I mean, he he knows you're going to sin, but he's chosen you. He's going to use you and he's going to give you the direction of how you can be made right. Get back to Bethel. We have to get your life fixed, Jacob. Jacob, this is not going to happen. We're not going to just go on with this messed up family and all these messed up things. Jacob, we're going to get this fixed. And I know just how to do it. You've been selfish, fleshly, carnal, only thinking about your business in this world. You've been discouraged by your failures and broken by the mess that is your family. And you're too close to the world, Jacob. Too influenced by the way people are thinking. You've been conformed by the patterns of this world. But I am with you, Jacob. You don't deserve it. You didn't earn it. But I've chosen you and I'm with you anyway. So back in verse 1. God said to Jacob, arise, go to Bethel and dwell there. Underline that word dwell. Very important for us. And make an altar there to God you who appeared, or who appeared to you when you fled from the face of Esau, your brother. Bethel was where Jacob first met God, where he first learned about the sacrifice and love of God, where he met the Lamb of God, and where he believed in God at first. This is where his life was changed, where he first had faith. When he started out his walk It was all about faith. It was just about believing God's words and walking with him. I mean, God didn't tell Jacob to do anything. He just said, I'm God. How about it? And Jacob was like, okay, I believe. And that's how Jacob started this walk with God. Now God says, hey, Jacob, I want you to go back to that place and dwell there. Dwell there. To dwell means to abide or remain. And those words definitely bring up verses in your minds, right? Like John 15, 4. I'm sure all of you thought of John 15, 4 when I say that, which Jesus says, Abide in me and I in you. As a branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. God wants Jacob to go back to where he just simply believed and trusted what God would do. That's where God said, Jacob, we can fix you if you go back there and stay there. Abide there, dwell there, remain there. The Christian life for us is not about Growing more independent and strong as a Christian. Look at me, how strong I am. I I am so strong as a Christian, I don't even need to go to church anymore. I hardly need to read my Bible. I'm so holy. Why do we laugh at that? Because you've been well taught. (laughs) That the Christian life is not about becoming more independent from God, but it's about growing more and more dependent upon God fulfilling his promises. Not our our abilities, certainly not our wisdom or or our talent or our gifts. It is all about us getting more dependent on him. And you guys laugh because you know if we don't spend time in our word, we're total jerks. I am a Mm. Mmm. Just keep my mouth shut because I, if I'm not, if I don't make a decision to connect myself to God and His resources in the morning, what happens to me is I think I'm okay, and I don't even realize how selfish I'm becoming. It it deceives me. There's this uh, tree down in South Africa. uh, They grow uh, oranges, and there's a South African version of the orange tree. Uh, that, that succumbs to a different disease than the, the American orange trees don't. It's called commonly root disease, where the tree looks like it's fine. It totally looks fine. On the outside, it keeps producing oranges, but a trained botanist will be able to look at that tree and say, it's dying. And what they do to fix it, it's what's pro- the problem is the disease is killing the roots. Now, the up- upside of the tree looks fine, but the bottom totally sick. So what they do is they take an American orange tree, and they take the roots and they, they cut off the, the orange tree from South Africa, and they put it right on the, the roots from the American orange tree, and they graft it in, and it can continue to be a, a fruitful and productive tree forever. I mean, it keep growing. I don't know how long trees live or die or whatever, but um, so there was a problem in these trees, but it was unseen. And it was going to lead to the death of these trees. So it needed a root transplant. The the hidden inner chamber of the heart was wicked. And as a Christian, that's what's going on in our lives. We have a root disease called flesh and sin. And every single one of us is infected. And the only way to have that root disease cured or healed is to day by day graft ourselves into the root of Jesus Christ through his word and prayer. Every day, you've got to get alone. I'm not giving you time frames and I'm not giving you uh, how long you need to do it and this is a rule, but no, this is life. It's, it's so important for us to connect with the resources of Jesus to that root because our root is sick and dying, every single one of us, don't think that you are above this, that yours isn't that bad. It is. You're terrible. The Bible says so. But Jesus, the Bible also says Jesus loves me. So you got that for you. And then he says, so he says, go to Bethel and abide there, that place of faith where you're just depending on God. Get back there, God says, and that'll fix you. That'll fix your, fix your root disease. And then he says, build an altar there. Build an altar there. An altar is where he would sacrifice animals to God. Now, people have been sacrificing animals to God all the way since Adam and Eve and their sons. They all knew that they needed to sacrifice animals to God. Somehow God had given them instruction that's what you need to do. This was a common thing because it, it foretold the sacrifice of the Lamb of God, Jesus Christ. That's why they sacrifice these animals. So he said, uh, you need to remember that the sacrifice that has to be paid for sins. That's, what, that's why he says build an altar there. You've got to remember sacrifice on a daily basis. You need to remember what Jesus did for you on the cross. And this is an act of faith. If you guys would turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 2, we're going to get there in just a minute. He says, build an altar I want you guys, if you want your heart to get fixed, you need to build an altar where you can worship me for the sacrifice, with the sacrifice. Worship me. This is how you get fixed. This is what the church can offer that no psychologist can offer to fix your brain and your heart. This is what the church has. We have God's promise That if you depend on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, it will fix your heart. It will heal your heart. It will bring wholeness to you. This is how things get made right in the depths of a human heart, only by the sacrifice and love of Jesus Christ. That's what we have to bring to the world. And worshiping God for this is how you interact with it. If you you believe in what Jesus did on the cross, you worship God for it. Now, you can believe and say, I'm not going to worship God, though. There's people that believe that Jesus died on the cross, but they choose to not worship God with it. They don't build an altar to remember the sacrifice. They know about the sacrifice, but they're not building an altar to worship God because of the sacrifice, through the sacrifice. The sacrifice to them is not personal, See, worship makes it personal. Worshiping makes it personal. This is why we love worshiping God during communion at church. And and some churches do it at different times. Some churches do it all the time, not all the time, whatever. What I want to do is every weekend. I'm the pastor, so it happens. Because Kurt's awesome and does it for me. Thanks, Kurt. (laughs) Awesome mustache, by the way. <laughs> so when we remember the Lamb of God being killed for us until he comes again, it does wonders for the human heart that cannot be explained. When we worship God in that, not just remembering. I mean, Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me, and we think, okay, so if I just remember Jesus all the time, just think about him, just think about him. No. It's about taking that remembrance and worshiping God with it. Having a time where you say, God, I I just worship you. I give you all my attention. I give you all my heart. I worship you. Surrendering that to the Lord. So God here says, He says, Go back to Bethel, stay there, and build an altar. Worship me with sacrifice and blood. Understand that there's it takes sacrifice for there to be relationship between you and me. I love how consistent God's message is to humanity. I mean, what, what was his, his uh, instructions with Adam and Eve and, and their sons? He said, stay close to me, but do sacrifices so you remember the, the sin and remember my fulfillment of that sacrifice. I mean, from Genesis to Revelation, we see that God is saying constantly, trust me and stay with me. I will take care of all of everything you need because I love you. There is nothing else that matters in your life. Trust me and stay with me. Now, I asked you to turn to Revelation chapter two. And if you would look in verse four, he says, nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, underline that, Therefore, from where you have fallen, and repent and do the first works, or else I will come to you quickly and remove your landstand from its place unless you repent. This is in the middle of the seven letters to the seven churches, which give us incredible insight into what Jesus thinks about the church in general in our time. And we're going to study these seven letters after we finish the book of Genesis. We're going to go and we're going to spend seven weeks and we're going to study the seven letters one, one each week. It's going to blow your mind. But, a little tease. Where we're at right now, we, we read this. He says, you've left your first love. This started as a love thing, Jesus says. You heard about my love and you responded to that. You believed me. And now you only need to do that more. I'm not asking you to do anything except believe more. Hang out with me more. Trust me more. Let my love be the power in the relationship. Keep learning about my love. What are the depths of Jesus' love? The, the heights? The width? I mean, Paul says he prayed for the Ephesians that they would understand the depth and the width and the height and the breadth of the love of Jesus Christ. Why? Because they don't. And we don't either. We barely get that how much he loves us. There is so much more that you have to learn about Christ's love. And we so easily drift away. But the path to get back is clearly laid out for us. Remember that it's all about Jesus and his sacrifice and how much he loves you. And then repent of your self-sufficiency. Repent of that heart that says, oh yeah, I kind of forgot how much you love me. I kind of forgot that this was all supposed to be about love. I kind of thought that I was okay this morning waking up and just going about my business without dealings with the God who has bought me with a price. And then he says, so remember, repent of your self-sufficiency, and then repeat or do the first works again. And what were the first works that got you into the family, that got you adopted? Believing. Believing. Do more believing, he says. Get back to where all you could do was believe, where you would read my word, you would hear a promise, and you'd say, okay, I believe it. I'm going to behave in this way because he made a promise to me, and I'm going to believe he's going to come through for me. Just believing. This is what fills you with the Spirit of God. It fixes all your issues and makes you right with God in every way. Back in Genesis, I'm sorry, in Galatians, we're gonna skip over to Galatians real quick for just a second. In Galatians chapter three, verses two and three, we have some of the most important verses in the Bible. When I'm discipling young men, I say Galatians chapter three, verses two and three, you gotta memorize it, know it, because it's so key for a Christian, for a man of God. He says, this only I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the Spirit, are you now being made perfect by the flesh? That means, how did you get saved? You did, you climbed some mountain and spoke to some guru, saying, oh, and it was a really hard work for you to do? No. He said, you heard the message of Jesus and you just believed. That's it. You believed when you heard, done. You're a child of God when you believe. And then he says, Are you so dumb? Paul's words, not mine. Foolish. Are you so foolish that you think you can believe to start out with God and then you'd put your best, you'd try to do your best to grow with God? That's where Christianity struggles. That's where we struggle. That's where the church struggles. Because we think, okay, I come to God, all oh, grace, all about grace. You've forgiven my sins, wash me clean. Then i got to get down to business. i got to clean my life up now. I've come to Jesus, so i got to stop doing this. i got to do that. i got to do the other. And, and we forget that dependency upon the Lord. God never asked you to do those things. He said, abide with me, remember my sacrifice on a daily basis, and I will cleanse you by changing your heart. That's the new covenant, is that I change the things you actually want to do. God never says, don't do what you want to do. Do what you want to do. If it's sinful, repent and come back to Jesus. Hopefully you can even repent before you do something really bad. When you even have desires, you can repent of desires. You don't have to follow through with killing someone before you repent. If you hate someone, just repent then. Then you don't have to kill them, and there's a whole bunch of consequences with that you don't want to have to deal with. So repent. Repent is the way that we interact with this new covenant. So we come back to him in humility and say, I I need you. I trust you. I depend on what you did on the cross. Jacob started out believing, but he got off track somewhere. He started trusting in his flesh again. And we've seen this battle between Jacob. Well, I want to trust the Lord, but I really think I got some something I can add to this puzzle. I, I want to trust the Lord, but I I can figure stuff out. I can do it on my own. He started thinking that he needed to work himself into a better being a better Christian or a better person, better follower of God. But Paul says this it's all grace all the time. It never turns into being about you. It's all me, all what I do, my promises at work inside you. It is me working inside you. Both for your justification when you get saved, when you start out with God, you're standing with God. And your sanctification, your daily process of changing and becoming more godly. Mm -hmm. Only the Spirit does either one. That's why he says, Don't be foolish. Uh, Did you receive the Spirit by doing something? Then don't think that you keep getting the Spirit, the continual supply of the Holy Spirit on a daily basis because you're doing anything. It's not about you, it's about believing in my promises. And that's why we come to him on a daily basis, is to reconnect with that dependency, is to reestablish that that line of, I receive from you your promises, and I'm asking you for those today. God gives you strength for today, but hope for tomorrow. Who heard that from Pastor Ed on the way in here today? (laughs) Strength for the day, but hope for tomorrow. He doesn't give you strength for two days. He never does. And you're like, really, I have to spend every day with God for the rest of my life? Yes. It's not that bad. (laughs) So check out verse 4 now, back in Genesis chapter 35. So they gave Jacob all the foreign gods which were in their hands. This is his family now responding to, uh, excuse me, where am I at? I'm in verse 2. We we skipped. I skipped two whole verses. Go back to verse 2. What am I doing? Jacob said to his household and to all that were with him, put away the foreign gods that are among you and purify yourselves and change your garments. Then let us arise and go up to Bethel and I will make an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me in the way which I have gone. So here we see Jacob is like immediately a different person. From last chapter, last chapter when he was didn't care about his family at all all of a sudden he he's back surrendered to the lord he's remembering what's important and what do we immediately see in his life godly leadership all of a sudden just by humbling himself before god and hearing god's voice and deciding in his heart i'm going to do what god says i'm going to believe god's promises all of a sudden he's being a good leader how did that happen Jacob is already fulfilling his calling and serving his family well in the Spirit. Jacob is like a walking Bible when he's led by the Spirit, speaking the words God just spoke to him, which is another reason why we spend time with the Lord in the morning. Because you can speak the words that God spoke to you, to the people in your, in your family, in your life, at work. You just become a walking Bible when you've surrendered To him. When a man decides to serve the Lord and surrender to God's plan, the influence on his family is huge. Men, it's on you. God gives you his huge influence on all these people, these little people, all around you, at your ankles. How uh, did his family have foreign gods? How were they impure? And what was wrong with their clothes? <laughs> Here Jacob gives them all these directions. They have foreign gods in their family. I don't know why. The influence maybe of Laban in their life. They, they, had worship, they were getting into these worshiping foreign gods. And God was like, what's up with that? But notice God didn't come to the family and say, you guys change for your husband's sake. No, he went to the husband first. And he said, you change and then your family can follow. How, uh, I mean, he just draws their attention back to what really matters. Jacob says, you know what? All these things we've been messing up on, let's get rid of them, and I'm going to go build an altar because I care about the sacrifice of God, Jesus on the cross. I'm going to believe in it. And when he does that, He leads his family to the cross, and he says, That's the only thing that really matters is that we get this altar built. Put away all that other stuff. It doesn't matter. Only Jesus matters on the cross. So, verse 4, finally. So, they gave Jacob all the foreign gods which were in their hands and the earrings which were in their ears, and Jacob hid them under the terebinth tree which was by Shechem. So, Jacob's family responds to his leadership, even with their earrings. Does God have something against looking cool? No. The reason why they gave their earrings is because in that culture there was a connection to pagan gods and a worldly way of thinking, even in something outward. So these were an outward sign that they were down with the world's systems and values. Hey, we're, we're not that different from all you promised land inhabitants, even though... They were supposed to be different. This was a heart issue, not a fashion issue, which is the same as every type of those issues in our world. It's a heart issue, not a fashion issue. You love those things and the way they make you feel more than me. You like when people look at you and say, Oh, that person's cool. And, uh, and God's jealous. He wants you for himself. He wants you identified with him. Husbands, imagine with me for a moment, if your wife <laughs> would like, she, she would tell you, I really like going to the mall, and hang, but I, I don't want to wear my wedding ring. What would you feel about that? I would feel hurt. In the deepest place. And I've experienced that in a real, in my my first marriage was awful, if you didn't know. (laughs) And I hate to always bring it up, but I know what that feels like. When I I wake up and and she was gone and her wedding ring was sitting there on the table. And it's like, wow, it hurts so bad. Because I don't care where they go necessarily. I would care what she was identifying herself with when she was there. If she was saying, oh, I'm married and I'm happy and I'm connected, I'd let her go wherever she wants. But when there was this disconnect with what she was identifying with, that's what hurts so badly. And that's what all these issues with how we dress, that's what it all comes down to. What do you love? Are you taking God with you wherever you go? Hey, if God's called you to the strip club, no. But (laughs) if God's called you downtown to go minister to people, (laughs) go for it, you know? Just take him with you. Are you going for the Lord? Because if you're going to minister to the strip club and you're a guy, no. (laughs) You've taken off your wedding ring. It's not safe, right? All right, enough on that. Verse five. And they journeyed, and the terror of the Lord of the of God was upon all the cities that were all around them and they did not pursue the sons of Jacob God is so good and loving to a disobedient follower <laughs> It's almost like his sins have been washed away or something right Hmm So Jacob came to Luz that is Bethel which is in the land of Canaan he and all the people who were with him and he built an altar there and called the place El Bethel because God appeared to him when he fled from the face of his brother. So Jacob follows through. Jacob's obedience. By faith, he trusted God's word and now he's doing what God asked. And his little ministry group or people or church, you could call it, is growing. It's amazing how God uses flawed people to grow his church. It said that all the people who were with him God, Jacob's been acquiring all these people that are kind of following him and becoming part of the family as he's been going through the promised land, and they're all following him now, and they're now all at church. He brings them. He builds this altar. He has a church service, and all these people are like, "Praise the Lord, Hallelujah!" By the way, church news: the the building that we're in is being closed on on Wednesday. Uh, Denver Christian Bible Church is buying it. Uh, Pastor John Moreland, and I'm so excited. Because they're awesome. They're going to be in there soon. And so, yeah, we have a new landlord. Exciting. Yay. Uh, so we'll, I'm sure we'll bring him in so you guys can meet him. And, and they're, they're, it's going to be an exciting church. <clears throat> All right, verse 8. Now, Deborah, Rebecca's nurse, died. And she was buried below Bethel under the Tabernacle tree. So the name of it was called Alon Bakuth. We've never met this woman before in the Bible. Uh, but she must have been very dear to Jacob because he names this place the oak of weeping then god appeared to jacob again and he came, when he came from padanaram and blessed him and god said to him your name is jacob your name shall not be called jacob anymore but israel shall be your name and he called his name israel and god said to him i am god almighty Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations shall proceed forth from you, and kings shall come from your body. The land which I gave Abraham and Isaac I give to you, and to your descendants after you I will give this land. Then God went up from him in the place where he talked with him. It's amazing to me that there are no I-told-you-sos and where-have-you-beens in God's loving communication with his son. God simply reminds Jacob who he really is. And God does the exact same thing with us. When we've been out gallivanting in our sin and we finally get humbled and brought back to the Lord, what does he say? You're my child. What if? What did you think you were? You're my child. And I want to bless you. You're justified. And I want to give you everything you'll ever need to serve God and to build his kingdom here on earth. I am with you. You're my chosen instrument to work in this world. So don't go, just stay in Bethel. Get back to Bethel. Even Abraham Lincoln says, get back to Bethel. Well, God, here reminds Jacob or Israel, we could call him, of the promises he's already made. Nothing new is in these, in these words that he says here. Jacob didn't need to learn any new information by coming back to God. He only needed to be reminded of God's word and God's promises and encouraged to believe it. I find that amazing. It's not for lack of information that you're sinning. It's just because you forgot who you are and you decided not to stay in that place of Bethel where you were dependent on God and in his promises. So verse 14, Jacob set up a pillar in the place where he talked with him, a pillar of stone, and he poured a drink offering up on it, and he poured oil on it. And Jacob called the name of the place where God spoke with him, Bethel. Jacob's life is now pictured as being poured out to God. That's what that drink offering and the oil being poured out speaks of, is that he's totally thankful and dependent on God. Paul knew what it was like to be totally living for God, didn't he? At the end of 2 Timothy, in chapter 4, verse 6, he said, I am already being poured out as a drink offering, referring back to this with Jacob. He says, for the time of my departure is at hand. It feels so amazing to be in this place with God where where you know nothing else matters to your heart but pouring out to God worship and loving him, pouring out praise and thanks. I love being able to worship the Lord. And when I get to lead worship, when I get to play guitar, I really feel this. I feel Like everything inside me, I'm able to shut down and I'm just able to pour out to God thanksgiving. And I let the words just be my heart. That's why I often pray about laying down our burdens and laying down our thoughts and our concerns before we worship. Because God can, he wants us to have this experience of being able to pour out, fully fully surrender to Jesus in humility and faith. And this is also a picture of Jesus himself, this being poured out. Jesus died on an altar, right? His blood was the drink offering for sin. His spirit became an offering for sin, and the Holy Spirit is many times uh, equated with oil in the Bible. So you have drink and oil. You see this is foreshadowing what Jesus would do on the cross At Bethel, this this was made, which is the house of God. And it's so interesting that Jesus builds God a house or a home in the church at the cross as well. That's where his work of building the church happens, at the cross. I like that. I like how it's kind of a dual picture for us. So we get to verse 16. He says, Then they journeyed from Bethel, and when there was but a little distance uh, to go, to Ephrath, Rachel labored in childbirth, and she had a hard labor. Now it came to pass when she was in hard labor that the midwife said to her, Do not fear, you will have a son also. And so it was, as her soul was departing, for she died, that she called his name Ben-Oni, uh, which means son of sorrow. But his father called him Benjamin, which means son of my right hand. So Jacob, so Rachel died and was buried on the way to Ephrath, that is Bethlehem. And Jacob set a pillar on her grave, which is the pillar of Rachel's grave to this day. And I've been there. You go down south of Jerusalem a little bit, there's a nice place to eat, uh, like a cafe there now. So, And there's the rock. Rachel's right there. I think I had some hot dogs or something. Probably not, actually, there. Just kidding. Falafel, right? <laughs> they don't serve hot dogs in Israel. That's a Jewish joke. No pork in Israel. Uh, anyway, I'll explain it to you guys. Uh, if you remember back to the crazy competition between Rachel and Leah uh, that they had up in Pedanaram, Ram, Rachel uh, at one point said, give me children lest I die. You remember that? Well, her, th- her thought her heart thought that this would bring her happiness, getting something. Because her heart was really set on those child, on having children and competing with her sister, right? But at her end, she finds that anything you put your heart into besides Jesus leads to sorrow. It, it jades the way she looks at her life. I mean, she actually receives a blessing from the Lord. This is great that she has a child, another son, Benjamin but the blessing for her was totally lost because it jaded the way her her heart jaded the way she saw the situation she's like oh i'm just dying and all oh. and it's funny how that works in our life when we get so obsessed with something when we get so this is what will make me happy instead of jesus that even when we get that thing we're like ah i'm sad anyway She lost the blessing because she was focused on herself, because she didn't surrender it to the Lord. Well, people, you know, still die when you're serving God. Rachel dies here. And Jacob still lives in a world that's going through suffering. Things are still messed up in this world that we live in until Jesus comes back. And the Psalms help us to understand this. There are the lament poems or Psalms that help us... uh, to mourn the way that this world is so messed up. You ever read those, like, where David's like, bash their babies into rocks, and you're like, whoa, calm down, bro. You're really upset. And David was really ticked off about the world that he lived in. A lot of the psalmists, not okay. That's what the psalms help us with. God says it's okay for you to be mad about the way this world is. You should be very mad. Abraham Lincoln was ticked off about how prideful his nation had gotten. And he said, we are going to lament, we're going to mourn. But the Psalms also have Messianic Psalms, which look forward to the coming perfection of Jesus' reign, what Jesus would eventually do. And those two things have to be balanced. They're, They're pretty balanced in the Psalms, between Lament Psalms and these Messianic Psalms, because we need them both at different times in our life. Sometimes God's like, yeah, mourn. Your life sucks. Read a psalm, and then sometimes he's like, "All right, it's enough morning. Look forward to what Jesus is going to do." And in both of those, where are your eyes going towards? Your Father, the Jesus. I mean, it, the psalms help us so much. We need to be in those psalms. The psalms are basically like a second. Torah or a second law or another way that we can have a perfect relationship with the Lord is abiding in those. It's really neat. Well, Jacob's family is still not perfect as we see now in verse 21. Then Israel journeyed and pitched his tent. Oh, he's calling him Israel now. Isn't that interesting how God goes back and forth? Uh, He journeyed and pitched his tent towards the Tower of Eder. And it happened when Israel dwelt in that land that Reuben went and lay with Bilhah, his father's concubine. And Israel heard about it. Now the sons of Jacob were 12. The sons of Leah were Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, and Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. The sons of Rachel were Joseph and Benjamin. The sons of Bilhah, Rachel's maidservant, were Dan and Naphtali. And the sons of Zilpah, Leah's maidservant, were Gad and Asher. These were the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Padan Aram. Then Jacob came to his father Isaac at Mamre, or uh, uh, Kirjath Arba, that is Hebron, where Abraham and Isaac had dwelt. Now the days of Isaac were 180 years. So Isaac breathed his last and died and was gathered to his people, being old and full of days. And his sons, Esau and Jacob, buried him. So here we see his family still messed up. There's perversion going on with his sons and wow we're gonna we're gonna see that his sons we're gonna get into all of that later but we see that um he goes to visit isaac but there's really no connection and what commentators kind of think is that isaac had kind of been stricken with old age and wasn't really he was just kind of bedridden not able to communicate he was we know he was blind 40 years before this right 20 years before this he was blind so he is he was really getting old by this point point. 180 i would be pretty messed up too so he basically was con you know convalescent in his old folks home he died his sons bury him but we notice that there's been this separation or division between jacob and esau right and there was a little bit of a reconciliation. But what really brings them back together is the death of their father. And let's take a personal look at this. When there's a separation or division between people in your life, how many have an estranged family member? For mine, it's like Uncle Bob, right? Uncle Bob committed felonies, did all kinds of bad stuff, not really involved with the family anymore. Okay, And you're like, oh, man, it's like... When I think about them, I'm just like, I wish, I wish it was different, right? I wish we could come back together and be reconciled. Well, what does it take to bring Jacob and Esau back together? The death of someone just happens to be their father. And so likewise, whenever there is conflict with anyone in your life, you have the choice to bring an end to that conflict. Do you want to know how? Die. You can choose to be the one that dies. Somebody's got to die. And we're talking spiritually. We're talking about your decision that you need to be right about the issue. What is it that's 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 keeping you guys apart? Were they a jerk? You can still die. Were they mean? You can still die. Were you the problem? You probably should die to that, too. See, we think in our heart, but I don't want to die. I'm not wrong. I'm right. They're wrong. They need to fix this. And God says, really, do you want the relationship or do you want to be right? You can be right. Go for it. But you lose the relationship. If you want to step back and say, I don't need to be right. I'll just die to whatever my fight was. For there to be reconciliation, somebody's got to die. Somebody's got to die. You don't need to win. You can trust in the Lord. So Jacob has been learning to abide in Bethel. You need to die to yourself and your way of doing things and trust in God alone. Do what Abraham Lincoln said. Humble yourself. And go back to the place where it's all about Jesus. Where you're humbly saying, what did I, What can I do to fix anything? What can I do to earn anything? Nothing. But you promised I can be your son. You promised me your grace. So I'm going to stay right there. And I'm just, every day I'm going to wake up and be like, thank you, God, that I'm your child. And Lord, what's your will for my life today? You want me to go here? You want, what do you want? What do you want? Show me in your word what you want for me. And God will meet you there. And in Bethel, you will find, you will have an abiding, dwelling relationship with Jesus Christ. Go back to Bethel. Amen? Amen. Amen. Father, we thank you so much that we can uh, freely come to you, that we can put our hope and our trust in what Jesus Christ did alone, that we never have to depend on ourselves. We never have to... uh, think that we need to figure out uh, a plan or a scheme to make us right in your sight, but it's all what Jesus did for us on the cross. Lord, we want to believe that more as the days go on. Lord, we thank you so much uh, that we can now have a time of communion where we we worship you for your sacrifice, where all this can become real in our life. Lord, we, we just pray that you would be with us at the rest of today, Lord, that we'd We do what you will and not what we will. In Jesus' name we pray.